Shalom. We are so glad you're joining us on this episode of Our Hope. We created this podcast as a resource for followers of Yeshua, where they can learn more about Israel, the Bible, and the Jewish community. Together, we discuss Messianic apologetics, dive into Scripture, and hear stories from Jewish believers in Jesus. If you've enjoyed our podcast series, please consider supporting us at ourhopepodcast.com slash support. You could also help us by sharing this podcast on social media, talking about it with your friends and family, or by writing a review on Apple Podcasts. We are so grateful for you, and we hope this episode of Our Hope is both enlightening and encouraging. Welcome to Our Hope, a production of Chosen People Ministries. On this podcast, you will hear inspiring testimonies, learn about messianic apologetics, and discover God's plan for Israel and you. Wherever you're listening, we hope you lean in, listen closely, and be blessed. As followers of Yeshua, we recognize that we are born into a war between good and evil. There is a good God who is our Father, and an enemy who hates everything that God has created and loves. The Apostle Paul says it best, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Ephesians 6 verse 12 So what exactly is spiritual warfare and why does it exist? Here to answer some of our questions is the branch leader of Seattle, Washington, Dr. Daniel Nessim. Daniel was born into a Messianic Jewish family. Having a heritage of faith in his own family, Daniel accepted the Lord when he was seven. Daniel now holds a PhD in theology and religion from the University of Exeter in England. He serves among the Jewish people of Washington State and Vancouver, BC, and is a teacher in the Messianic Jewish movement. Daniel, welcome back to our hope. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. So glad to have you here. Um, This is a very heavy topic, but a very timely and important one. Right now, uh, as we're recording this, Israel is in the midst of the war against Hamas. And today is also October 31st. So if there was ever a day to talk about this topic, this is it. Yeah, that's for sure. Very timely. (laughs) Yes. So Daniel, in light of the war going on, in the Middle East right now between Israel and Hamas, and also just in light of the increase in anti-Semitism going on even in the U.S. on college campuses. How are you uh, comforting the Jewish community? How are you encouraging the people that you serve? We're all uh, really upset, Um, not just by the war, but by this incredible international response that instead of um, in universities and certain, certain cities, instead of um, being supportive of what is obviously right, the the right of the Jewish people to defend themselves in Israel, the world has gone mad. And boy, it really does fit in with what we're saying. Now, in our congregation, in our social media, in our in- individual interaction with Jewish people, you know, we're, we're commiserating on this, but also we're able to, um, we, we know the end of the story and we're able to say that. 
Amen. Yeah. So that end of the story is a huge aspect of spiritual warfare. So we're going to dive right in right now. How would you define spiritual warfare according to scripture? Well, you know, I grew up on my dad's bookshelf. There was this huge book, 1,240 pages called The Christian in Complete Armor. And it was written in 1662. And I think I tried to start it once. It was just way too heavy for me. Um, but it, it definitely, just sitting there on my dad's bookcase, told me how big this issue is. It really is a big issue. If you can spend, you know, 1,200 pages just discussing um, these verses in Ephesians that talk about complete armor, you know that there is a spiritual war. And you know that it it's something much bigger than you could just simply um, crystallize in a few words. But yeah. I think you could say in in very, you know, in a very short way, you could say that this is the conflict between life and death. And maybe expand it. You could say spiritual warfare is the conflict between the kingdom of heaven and the adversary, Satan, and his kingdom. Right. And this conflict has been going on since the beginning of time. So can you tell us why there is spiritual warfare? I, I, you know, I think that's actually really good the way you put that since the beginning of time, because that's, uh, I mean, some people have this viewpoint that there are equal opposing powers in eternity that will forever be opposed. You know, the mm -hmm. power of God and the power of Hasatan or evil. And, and they have this dualistic idea. This dualism is actually completely foreign to scripture. It's, mm -hmm. it's seen in some places, but it is not the viewpoint of scripture. This is something that begins in, in, in time and space. It's something that happens in, in uh, our world that's happening right now, but is not reflective of equals that are fighting each other. You know, in Isaiah chapter 14, the prophet says, and, and the words are a little obscure, but a lot of people look at these words and have over, over millennia and seen a hint of, of, of a spirit, of this spiritual war. And it's, it's the words, how have you fallen from heaven? O star of the morning, sun of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth. You who have weakened the nation nations. And when you look at that, you go, well, what could it be talking about? But this rebellion in heaven that is reflected in various scriptures that speaks about this, this fact that heaven is not just God, but there are many other beings in heaven that are under his domain. And some people call this the heavenly council, but but it might even be bigger than that. And it's, it's this idea that some of these beings in eternity, when at some point rebelled against God. And so the book of Jude, chapter one, chapter one, verse six, says the angels abandoned their proper abode. They, um, they did rebel. And this is 
both understood, you know, in, in Jewish thought, but also, you know, clearly here in the book of Jude. Yes. And these spiritual beings, let's talk a little bit more about them. Who exactly is Satan and how powerful is he in this conflict? Yeah, well, when, you know, when I grew up, I used to, as a kid, I would think of Satan being everywhere all the time, as if he was omnipotent, all-powerful, and omnipresent, all-present, just like God himself. And actually, the scripture never really describes him in that way. He's certainly powerful. He's certainly, um, you know, in, in get, getting around, and, and he's in a lot of places. But he is he is not this... Um, absolute power that is always hovering over our shoulder. And, and this is one of the things that actually both believers and unbelievers can could take um, solace in, in that he's not everywhere all the time. But, you know, we, we as believers have a, a, have a real power in ourselves. Ephesians chapter 2 speaks about how um, the believers used to walk according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. In other words, those who are not following the Lord used to walk in a certain way. And now uh, they are no longer as believers walking in this way. Um, as a result, this is a choice that we have. Maybe it's empowered by God. It certainly is because his spirit lives within us. But at the same time, it is, it is something that humans are actually choosing to participate or not participate in. Are we or are we not walking according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air? So that, that's really important for us to know. And, and also we're told very clearly that we have a choice, you know, how we are going to equip ourselves. And maybe this is where those who don't believe in Yeshua, in Jesus might, might want to, because if you are a believer in him, we are told that we can put on the whole armor of God so that we might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. He's powerful. But we can choose not to walk according to his ways. We can choose to arm ourselves against him so that we might be able to stand against his schemes. We're not helpless in this fight by any means. Thank you for explaining that, Daniel. You remind me of a few scriptures when you were saying that. You remind me of the verse that says, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And also, whenever we are tempted, God always provides a way of escape so that we can bear it. Um, sometimes as believers in Yeshua, we do tend to sometimes see the devil as, like you said, omnipresent. Like he's always there. He's always around the corner waiting to get us. Um, and so what you said really is just a great reminder that no, he's not more powerful than God, and he doesn't have all of God's abilities. And we do have, um, we do have the ability to overcome him through Jesus and through the Holy Spirit. 
What do we know about demons from scripture? Are they separate entity from Satan? What are they? Yeah, de- demons are are definitely in more places than the enemy himself. Remember how often the Lord actually, when he, Yeshua is walking in this world, he runs across people who are possessed by demons. They're not possessed by Hasatan, the adversary or Satan, but they're possessed by demons. And so clearly there's a lot of them. Clearly they are in a lot of places and they, they really do affect us. And, and so we need to be aware of them. And probably they are, they are in more places than we would normally think about ourselves. You know, we, we in our Western world, particularly, not particularly aware of demonic power. Um, here we are, you know, we're recording this on, on the eve of Halloween. And, um, you know, maybe this is a time of the year when maybe we think a little bit more about it. But for most people, yeah. it's kind of play. Even even Christians, you know, sometimes get involved in, you know, dress their kids up as as evil characters. And, and it's a game. We don't take it maybe as seriously as we should. Um, the book of Revelation. Now, the language of Revelation is it's called apocalyptic. It's it's um, it's a way of describing things that cannot be described um, things that are happening in the heavenlies in, in terms that we can understand. It's, it's English, or, or actually at this point, it was written in Greek. Greek does, does not have a way to describe what's happening in heaven. But, but we are told in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 3 that there's a sign that appeared in heaven. And behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars from of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman and so forth. Um, many times when we look at this verse in the book of Revelation, chapter 12, verse 4, we look at it and we say, wow, could this be? And it seems to sync pretty well with other scriptures that talk about the fall of, of Satan. Mm. Uh, could it be that a third of the demonic powers in, in God's creation, his heavenly creation, joined with him in rebellion against God? Um, it could be. So it could be that there are actually a lot of them and, and that, you know, that would be an innumerable number of demons. Um, Yeshua often warned us about this. He told us to be really careful. Um, and he told us about the reality of it. And he told us to make sure that our homes, our, our, our beings, our, our nefesh, if you put it in mm. Hebrew, uh, our persons are, are filled with that which is good and of God. Otherwise, demons will move in on us. And we've got a, if we've got a clean swept home, so to speak, um, we, we are vulnerable to demons even affecting us in some way. So mm. demons, uh, they, they may well be fallen angels. And there are other scriptures, of course, that, that reflect this. Yes. And I like that you read from Revelation. And it just shows us that it's in both the New and the Old Testament. You opened with Isaiah 14. And so I'm curious, what does the Jewish community believe about spiritual warfare? Does Judaism teach about this? Um, 
Yeah, that's a really good point because for Judaism, there's both um, there's kind of different streams of Judaism. There's there's a Talmudic way of looking at things. There's a biblical way of looking at things that obviously informs the Talmudic way of looking at things, but but it's it's different for us as uh, believers in the Word of God alone. That the biblical view is the right one. Um, and then there's also folk religion. You know, people have have their own ideas about uh, the spiritual war they're in, and and that leads to superstition. But looking at it mostly from a biblical point of view, uh, right now. Israel, as we record this, is in the middle of a war, a big operation to yeah. root out Hamas in, in Gaza. And as they do so, people are calling this a milchemet mitzvah. In other words, it is a war of commandment. Mm. It is an obligatory war. We really don't have a choice. What is Israel going to do? Is it just going to let uh, Hamas get away with what they did, with a slap on the wrist, and repeat what has happened numerous times when Israel has gone into Gaza and then come out? Or is Israel going to follow this war through and do its best to get rid of the threat for a long time? Um, it's a milchamet mitzvah. But in the midst of this, Seeing that it's it's this obligatory war, we don't have a choice what we're going to do. I, I notice a lot of people on um, social media, Jewish people, are asking for prayer. Some are saying, um, pray to Hillam, pray the Psalms. And that's mm. actually a very Jewish way of praying that some Christians also practice. Because when you pray the Psalms, when you read the Psalms and read them as your personal prayer to God, you will find that you are praying a lot of the things that need to be prayed at a time like this, because right. so many of those Psalms were written in a time of conflict, in a time when people were under threat. Um, my dad remembers that when when he was a kid in Cairo and there used to be a Jewish community in Cairo, a 3,000-year-old community wow. until the 1950s. But when he was a kid in Cairo, at one point, um, Arab people were, were screaming at him and his, his uncles and parents as they came home from synagogue. And, um, and his aunt screamed back at them. So she obviously wasn't intimidated. But when they got back to their apartment, my, my father remembers they started to pray psalms. It mm. is that recourse, uh, knowing that, hey, we're in, a, we're in this physical war. We're in, we're in mortal danger ourselves, personally. But at the same time, the very fact that we pray, the very fact that we turn to God at this time, tells us that this is actually a spiritual war. I don't know if you you saw um, an Israeli was rescued by by the armed forces yesterday, mm -hmm. yes. and when she was brought into her house, uh, she was an Israeli soldier who'd been abducted by Hamas, and she was rescued, brought to her house, and as the, she greeted her grandmother, and of course everyone's in tears. Someone picked mm -hmm. up a shofar and they blew the shofar. Now that's not like playing a vuvuzela at a football match in South Africa. No. <laughs> that is a spiritual thing, to pick up the shofar and blow the shofar 
Um, it's that acknowledgement that what has happened is part of this spiritual war that we're in. So, in a sense, Judaism does not make a sharp distinction between spiritual war and physical war. Um, the two are related, and and really, it's it's uh, it's maybe a Western or maybe even an Eastern idea to, in some respects, to uh, separate the two. But we are in a war, and we know that. Yes, and I think that's a good reminder for us as believers to just kind of see it all as spiritual, um, given that there really is no separation between secular and spiritual. I think there's always some kind of force moving behind everything. Um, so yeah, it's a good thing to keep in mind. Yeah, I think it is. Daniel, if if we are in Yeshua, if we have salvation and we've been saved, why do we still have to deal with spiritual warfare this side of eternity? Why can't we just, you know, not have to deal with that at all? You know, it would it would be wonderful. Um, and honestly, there are some questions we don't quite have the answer to. Um, even though, even before he gave his life for us, Yeshua said in Luke chapter 10 and verse 18, when he had... Um, sent his disciples out and they had come back returning with joy because they had said even the demons are subject to us in your name when when he heard them say that he said to them i saw satan fall like lightning from heaven and right away you realize wait a second he hasn't even conquered satan yet and yet he says i have already seen it yeah. and there's a lot of that going on in scripture and that we know the end of the story we know what's going to happen we know that hasatan will be ab absolutely vanquished but in another sense he is absolutely vanquished already the story the script is there and we know that he he will you know that he will be vanquished you know in colossians rav shaul the apostle paul says you were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away we were once dead in other words but god made you alive with christ with messiah he forgave all our sins he canceled the record of charges against us by nailing it to the cross and disarmed the spiritual rulers and authority he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross so we know that victory has been won but there's absolutely no doubt you look throughout the new testament and there is no hint that we are not still in this spiritual war and in a sense, this war is more intense now. It's a different kind of war yes. in many ways than the war that Israel engaged in when they were uh, refining, being refined by God as a nation, as they were dealing with um, the nations around them, uh, conquering the promised land, as they were uh, dealing with idolatry in their midst and experiencing discipline so that God might purge them so that they might no longer be an idolatrous nation. That was a spiritual war and, mm -hmm. and God waged it in and through Israel. But, but now we're, it's been notched up a, le a level because now Messiah has actually come to this world. And so it should be no surprise that throughout the four gospels uh, that tell 
events of Yeshua's ministry, we see so much demonic power on display because this is the key conflict. Um, and Yeshua's got the victory. The victory is assured, but we know that um, this is still going on. It, it really doesn't end until you get to um, Revelation chapter 20 and verses 7 to 10. And when you turn there, you see that the uh, devil and his angels are cast into the lake of fire. Let me read it to you. When the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their numbers like the sound of the sea, and they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them, and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's the final word. This is it. This is where the adversary is forever and ever put away. And, and that's the final completion of the victory. Daniel, why and how do we engage in spiritual warfare as believers? How do we engage in combat, you would, would you say? Yeah, that's a really great question because uh, um, I think for a lot of people, spiritual warfare is more of a reality than others. Maybe their eyes are more open to it. And I think that's often very true. But, but also, I think sometimes people are in an imaginary space. Um, because the Bible speaks, you know, in Ephesians chapter 2, for example, Ephesians 2 and 2, it's our walk that it, we walk in the way of light. We walk in God's way. In fact, that's a metaphor that begins right at the beginning of Scripture and goes to the end. This, this way in which we walk, do we walk according to the way of life and light or the way of death and darkness? Um, how are we going to walk? This is a crucial in our spiritual warfare. Now, um, we know that there are, are various ways in which um, we can strengthen our walk, in which we can uh, build our walk. Uh, you know, prayer, like it's our relationship to God, that vertical, it's that horizontal fellowship with, um, you know, people on our, on our plane of reality, fellowship and and collaboration with others who also know God and know the truths of spiritual warfare, who can encourage us and strengthen us. It's a meditation on the scriptures. Um, however that is done, whether it's listening to the scriptures on, on your phone or, or, or reading or, or even just taking a verse and meditating or memorizing, uh, meditation on, on God's things. Um, primarily his word. Those are all tools that are reinforcement. They, they strengthen us. Um, they, they help us to live the right way. We, we don't have to seek out spiritual warfare. In fact, the scripture is very clear. All of us are already in it. There's absolutely no doubt. Yes. We are fighting a spiritual warfare. And, and I think uh, some of the adversary's greatest tools are to 
cause us not to realize what God has done for us. And so, for example, he can cast upon us shame. Shame is an incredibly powerful thing in our lives. Um, I mean, we talk about, you know, ancient societies and the shame and honor system in some ancient societies and maybe in some modern societies as well. Um, but, but it's still in Western societies too. It's very internalized in us. We, we feel such shame as believers. And uh, some people, as an aside, know how to manipulate that and yeah. get us to do things that we wouldn't normally do because they use our shame as a tool against us. Um, but, uh, you know, when, when we're walking in prayer and fellowship and meditation, when we're confessing to God and, and, and realizing what he's done for us, this tool, I'm just picking one, this tool of shame, for example, is absolutely um, uh, destroyed because then we realize, you know, it's not me. He has, re he has taken, Messiah has taken the shame from us. He has released us. And so that's one of the ways in which I think Satan is very much fighting against us today, making us feel unworthy. Yes, we are all uh, sinners, even though we have repented and turned toward God. Unfortunately, we keep on sinning. But, um, but God knew that when he accepted yeah. us as his uh, children as he took us into his family. And just as a parent loves their children, even when they do naughty things, God loves us with an everlasting love. And Satan would like to try to take that away from us. Um, that's one of the ways in which Satan attacks in, in our world today. And one in which we as believers, if we understand uh, and internalize what God has done through us, through his Messiah, we, we can be so um, released and so blessed. And then knowing that we are free, we are able to go and serve him with much greater power and able to wage this warfare because we're no longer hampered. Thank you, Daniel. As you can see, I'm crying here. <laughs> I cried at almost every episode recording this season. Um, that was so well put. Um, just this idea of we need to remember um, what has already been accomplished for us. We need to walk in that freedom. Um, just last night, I was just hit with this huge wave of guilt and depression and and I remembered that we were recording this episode today. And so I was like, maybe there's a correlation there. Um, but yeah, I'm coming out of a season where I just had like a spiritual dry spell. And I was very angry with a lot of people. And I just felt so like powerless. And I was like, am I going to get stuck here, you know, for the rest of my life? And uh and I also deal with OCD too. So I was getting a lot of intrusive thoughts and things like that. And, uh, you know, I'm so grateful. Um, I have a friend who's a Christian who can pray for me and I talk to her and she's always reminding me of what scripture says. You know, it says that you have the mind of Christ. You know, it says that you are more than a conqueror, you know? And so when we're going through the thick of the warfare as individuals, um, let alone 
the corporate spiritual warfare that we go through as well in our congregations and as believers. Um, it's so key to just remember like what God says, who God is, what scripture says about God, what the truth is. Um, because when you're, when you're constantly in this echo chamber of lies from the enemy, sometimes it feels like the lies are true. We'll be right back. A war has begun in Israel, and the country is dealing with an existential crisis. Almost everyone in Israel knows someone who is missing, injured, or killed as a result of the recent attacks. We need your prayers. Please pray for our staff in Israel as they fight this physical and spiritual war in the land. We invite you to pray for five minutes each day over these five prayer points. First, pray for those who are mourning their lost loved ones. Second, pray for the safety of civilians, both Israelis and Palestinians. Third, pray for the international hostages being held in Gaza and their families. Fourth, pray for the soldiers in the Israeli Defense Forces as they risk their lives to protect their country. Lastly, pray for the hearts of Israelis and Palestinians to soften so they may come to know Jesus. As the body of Messiah, let us stand united in prayer for Israel. Daniel, looking into the Old Testament, we see a couple instances of spiritual warfare. I I recently saw a stage production of the book of Job, so I'm thinking of that especially. But we also see in Daniel chapter 10 a very interesting passage about spiritual warfare. Can you share with us a little bit about what happens in that chapter and what it means in this context of spiritual warfare? Yeah, you know, Daniel is an amazing book because it's written between the time that Israel or Judah and Jerusalem go into exile to Babylon and the time that um, Messiah comes. And it's pretty early in that time. It's before even they, the, the Jewish people get to return to the city of Jerusalem. And Daniel prays, and Daniel is properly considered actually not a prophet because he never prophesies. He just simply says what God showed him in dreams and visions. He never says, thus says the Lord. But nevertheless, Daniel um, then is included as part of the writings in, in the way Jewish people categorize scripture. But in the midst of it, he has this um, experience where Dan, where he is standing and looks up and there's a man who appears to him and this man is quite remarkable and and tells him what the Lord is doing and strengthens him. And then he says by the at in Daniel chapter 10 and verse 20, he says, Do you know why I've come to you? But now I will return and fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side except the against these, except Michael, your prince. And that's why Michael is considered the prince, you know, the guardian uh, angel for the pe- for the Jewish people in many ways. But um, here, here is Michael, um, who, who is given this 
job of contending. There is clearly a spiritual war, and we know from other chapters in the book of Daniel that, that there are these empires that will come and go, and one of them is the Persian Empire, another one is the Greek, and and clearly he Daniel is being told at this point that the that this angel is going to take part in this spiritual warfare. Um, that's quite remarkable. It's it's kind of a realm that we don't normally see, nor do we really need to see um, as as we go through life. But it, it's telling us that God is actually intimately involved in at least some of the conflicts that are happening in our world. There's a related story in Second Kings chapter six. six. And this is when Elisha is in um, in the city, and and Elisha's servant is afraid, mm-hmm. and Elisha is not afraid, and his servant doesn't know why Elisha is not afraid, and so Elisha prays and says, "Oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see." Because they are besieged by an enemy who is going to conquer the city and no doubt um, murder, loot, um, you know, and and abuse its people and, and destroy the entire city. So everyone's in fear of their lives. And, and we read that the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Now, I mean, that's my prayer that that would be happening for Israel right now, that God yes. will, <laughs> will uh, give Israel victory, that God will fight. Um, but we know the end of the story. You know, the city was spared. But uh, also we see that, wow, there is this spiritual conflict that we don't even see. And, you know, this is the greatest, the great story where the men eventually, uh, they're all struck with blindness. Um, they are brought into the city of Samaria where they eat and drink and, and, and they are embarrassed and ashamed and, and they leave without conquering the city. Uh, God brings a great victory, but it, it's, it's one of those passages that tell us that there is a spiritual war we do not see. And this is in the Tanakh, in the Old Testament. Um, in the New Testament, we have the same. When Yeshua is um, going and giving his life for us, he is on the cross. And there are people around him who are mocking him. And he says that he could bring armies to deliver him from that cross, from the situation he is in. There are spiritual armies there. And if God had wished, he could have delivered his son from the cross. But as we know from what Yeshua himself said, he gave his life for us so that not only Israel, but people of all nations might be able to put their faith in him and and might be delivered from not just um, uh, not 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 just physical enemies, but spiritual enemies. It's part of this spiritual war, and there were armies involved in that. Um, one surprising aspect of that passage in Daniel chapter ten is that Michael was detained. 
And so when I read that as a, you know, as a human, <laughs> I'm like, whoa. So even angels can get detained. You know, they're not, um, they're not exempt from this war. Yeah. Um, but how do we reconcile that with God's sovereignty and his, you know, the fact that he's omnipotent? You know, God is, we'll, we'll obviously never understand God because he's much greater than us. And if, yeah. if it was, if we were God, I mean, if we were to even think that way, it sounds wrong to say it. But um, if we had that kind of power, we would probably just do what we want. Mm -hmm. um, but God doesn't do that. You see, throughout Scripture, he takes even the um, the acts of his enemies into account and their views. So when Hasatan comes and accuses Job and says, oh, yeah, well, Job, you know, he's he's only uh, he only worships you because you're good to him. When when Satan does that, God doesn't just dismiss him and ignore him, but God actually proves to him and interacts with him. And that's quite remarkable. That's how relational God is, that here he is, the Almighty, the only one, you know, the, the king of all that is and ever will be. And, and he chooses to consult and even um, interact with those who are opposed to him. And uh, maybe it's just that God is so great that nothing's a threat to him. And this is part of, uh, this brings glory to him in that he is so, so great that he uses even the evil of evildoers who have not yet been brought to judgment. He uses their evil um, and uses it to his glory to bring about good. Daniel, as we mentioned in our introduction, Satan hates what God loves. And we know that Israel is the apple of God's eye and that God has chosen um, the Jewish people to bring the Messiah, to be a light to the nations. And so since God has chosen the Jewish people to bless the world, might there be a connection between spiritual warfare and anti-Semitism? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what's happening right now and what has happened so many times every time israel seeks to defend itself um, every time israel has had to defend itself um, you see anti-semitism anti explode around the world um, in some countries it has exploded over a thousand percent in terms of the number of anti-semitic acts and and uh, attacks against yeah. Jewish people in the last two or three weeks since Israel entered into war with Hamas. And you would think, um, you know, it's, it's so counterintuitive. You would think that when Israel is seeking to defend its civilians, um, that, that her enemies would be silenced. But instead, her enemies rise up against her. And we're finding that there are far more of them than we ever imagined. I, mean, I did see one person commenting, you know, one thing we've noticed is that um, there, those who hate us hate us more than we have ever imagined. Mm -hmm. and, and there's more of them. But yeah. on the other hand, those who love us also love us more than we imagined. And I, th I think it's really kind of uh, fantastic that maybe 
people are are seeing that there Jewish people are seeing that there are Christians that love the Lord, that love the word of God that so clearly speaks about his plan for Israel and that are seeking to defend Israel. Um, the the uh, demonstrations against Israel that are happening in major cities around the world uh, with cries of uh, Kaibar, which which is reference to a time in the very early period of Islam in the seventh century when Jewish tribes were massacred by uh, Muslim tribes um, and destroyed. So they're crying for a massacre of Jewish people. You, you hear these cries for that. You hear cries from the river to the sea, which is a cry for ethnic cleansing of Jewish people from the entirety of the land of Israel. You hear these and you realize um, evil, evil is certainly there because these are people who think that they're nice people. They think that they are moral and yet they're they're certainly not. Um, Same on our campuses around the country. There's been a lot of uh, focus on some of the main ones like Harvard and Yale where where Mm -hmm. some terrifically anti-Semitic things are occurring and and we're shocked. But but just the incongruity of it all, to me, is is a sign of evil at work. When things seem absolutely, um, you know, the inverse of of what is right, that's that's a sign of Satan because he is rightly called by our Messiah, the Father of Lies. I absolutely agree. And just looking at the videos I've seen of what's going on on college campuses right now and the chants that people are saying and the posters that are out there. It just seems like, like, you know, I'm in the twilight zone, (laughs) you know, I'm like, I'm looking at this and I'm like, is this really happening? You know, and the, just the twisted morality behind all of this, like you said, Satan is the father of lies. And so he takes, you know, what we, we think is a good, like people think like, Oh, they're freedom fighters. You know, they're defending themselves. This is what Hamas is doing. Um, and I was talking to one of our staff members in Israel, and he said that the Christians who see this as noble, they have a very Western understanding of the conflict, and they don't understand yeah. Hamas and the motivation behind it and just the bizarre morality of jihad, you know. And that's what's going on. We want to, in our Western mentality, we want to find a good motive. We want to frame these things in a positive light, um, but we're completely ignoring just the pure evil and the extremist views behind all of this. Yeah, that, that's absolutely it. I mean, the Western mo- um, mentality wants to erase the spiritual conflict from from this war. It's not even a, a war between Islam and Judaism or Islam and Christianity. Yeah. It, it's It's evil. Um, versus good. It's light versus darkness. Yes. So in light of spiritual warfare and the reality of it, how can understanding spiritual warfare shape the way that we view other people? You know, when uh, I think other people are never the enemy. Um, and that's what the Apostle Paul tells us. We don't war against flesh and blood. Um 
that's what our Messiah tells us. He, he always seeks, even when he reproves people in the Gospels, uh, Messiah is always doing so in such a way that they could have a door of repentance in front of them, that they, they could be convicted and turn to what is right. And, and I think people are never the, the issue. Um, they are, they are always those whom Messiah died for. And, and our reaction should always be, um, a reaction of love towards other people. But at the same time, there is justice that needs to take place. Um, you know, and certainly in a, in a military sense, Israel needs to defend herself. So if, if in, in the process of that war, people die, uh, that's not that Israel is bloodthirsty, but, but, um, people who are working for evil do need to be stopped. Yeah. That reminds me of just when I'm in conflict with someone else after my, myself that, it's not them. It's powers and principalities at play to tear us apart and make us fight one another. Yeah. Yeah. Daniel, as we wrap up, uh, was there ever a particular moment in your own life, in your own walk, where you realized that spiritual warfare is real? And can you share about it and just tell us what you learned from that experience? Well, you know, the first time I really noticed it was when I was growing up. Um, I, I grew up in Vancouver, Canada. And when I, when I was a kid, there was only our family who are all Jewish believers. And this one other lady, Isabel Lewis, who was also a Jewish believer in the entire city. Wow. And then starting around, yeah, maybe 1975, 1980, some in that period, all of a sudden Jewish people started to become believers through one means or another, God intervening in their lives. And it was exciting. Um, until that time, our lives had been very uh, placid. There hadn't been a lot of uh, drama. But as soon as Jewish people started getting saved, and as soon as Jewish people, believers started getting together, all of a sudden, we there was all kinds of spiritual opposition occurring, uh, whether it be conflict within the organization my dad worked for, it was an evangelistic organization, or, um, or between people, uh, people coming into our home um, who, who were clearly on the other end of the spectrum spiritually and bringing in an evil, uh, e bringing in evil with them, really. Um, wow. you know, all of a sudden, this exploded. And here, you know, as a young man, by then I was a teenager, um, it was really obvious, and we knew it. This, the, we have seen God work. There's some, something spiritual happening here, and where God is working, and, and so many people have witnessed this in so many ways. Whenever God is really working, you, you see the enemy opposing. And for mm -hmm. Jewish believers, sometimes we suspect that we get a double whammy because yeah. Satan hates all those who, who love Jesus, who love Yeshua. All believers he hates, but he also hates the Jewish people because he knows that the Jewish people are going to be those who enthrone Yeshua, 
Jesus on his throne in Jerusalem, and Jesus will rule over Israel and the entire world. If there was no Israel, there'd be no a throne for him to sit on, because yeah. there'd be no people for him to be king over. Um, and so Satan really hates God's plan for the Jewish people, and uh, and that seems to be a lot of what is behind the spiritual warfare we see happening in the world today. right that's why we should really be motivated to pray especially right now for the jewish community for israel um and for the church right now too we've seen a lot of division in the church in light of all the recent events and so yeah now's the time for us to really stand together and stand with the jewish community yeah yeah that's right we need it well thank you so much daniel for joining us for this episode um, you you gave us a lot of meat and substance to think about, and I'm really excited to listen back to this episode. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will ever be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8, verses 37 to 39. Although we have an enemy who is out to steal, kill, and destroy, we also have victory in Messiah. When we position ourselves in God's love, knowing that Yeshua has defeated the enemy, we can be confident in overcoming all things. Hence, we can engage in any storms of life from a place of peace, knowing that all things will work out for the good of those who love Him. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or a rating on Spotify. Let us know how this podcast has moved you. We would also love if you can share it on social media with your friends and family. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Our Hope, featuring Daniel Nesson. This episode was produced by Nicole Vaca, written by Grace Swee, and edited by John Bautista. This episode was also created thanks to Dr. Mitch Glazer, Fernando Mercado, Kyron Bautista, Rachel Larson, Nathan Scherer, and Samantha Rodbell. I'm Nicole Vaca. Until next time.